Hi, and welcome to the Academy Podcast. My name is Austin Parenti. And my name is Jeremy Hiss. Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to be working through book one of Plato's Republic. If you haven't already, go back and check out the previous episode where Aaron did a great job of breaking down some of the historical context and the major players uh, of this dialogue. So totally go back, check that out, and keep that in mind as we work through this book. Uh, we're going to start just right from the beginning. Um, and the book starts, Aaron, with a... a a discussion between Socrates and this old man. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So to begin, the, the dialogue starts off with Socrates speaking to uh, Cephalus, um, who is an elderly man, and they discuss the virtues of the elderly and the idea of right being telling the truth and paying your debts. And then once they finish up, you know, their brief talk there in the beginning of the book, then you have uh, Polymarchus, who then takes over the conversation, who is Cephalus' son, and states that what is right is giving a man his due. And that's what sets Socrates off. Not not in like a mean <laughs> way, but it's like, okay, now there's something we can pick apart, and it becomes a dialogue about the nature of justice from there. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay. So you so then how it starts is that they just kind of end up at this guy's house and they just start talking about the nature of what is right. And then so um, Cephalus has a claim um, that it's about being the truth and paying, de and paying debts. And then and then it's um, a very legal definition. Right. Right. And then and then Polymarchus then carries on that conversation um, and uh, where an even more legalistic definition being um, what is right is giving a man his due. And then Socrates ends up questioning him. Mm -hmm. um, and getting him to the inadequate conclusion about about that definition classic, of being classic right. Socrates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in in the beginning, something that struck me uh, is how much uh, Socrates seems to like respect the elderly. Like I don't know, I don't want to just make this all about how they were different than us. But nowadays, we try to do everything in our power to not be old. <laughs> you know, like yeah, sure. like physically and mental. Like we try to really, you know keep our youth uh but this book opens immediately out of the gate they're talking about all these great virtues that i personally have not really considered with age is that something that was like common to athenian thought then or was that kind of from what you know socrates's original right. thought? i don't know like, right right so for socrates he would he would emphasize the necessity of of having experience and, and being greater in years um, in order to sufficiently exemplify virtue. Um, I, I believe uh, he had a very firm understanding of the, the necessity of having experienced life and having gone through it in order to, in order to really be mature in your principle, mm -hmm. because being a young, a young man um, still leads you to be immature, hot headed, great in spirit. Right. And so it's not saying that you can't express virtue, but um, it requires, it definitely, it certainly required a, a great a deal of more experience and to, and to kind of cool off in a sense and become more mature yeah. before you were able to really have a sort of strong ethic about you, if that makes sense. And I think that's kind of one of the big things that are being touched upon initially in the book, for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I, I remember they're, they're talking about, I think it was like sexuality and, and immediately, you know, Socrates kind of questions how, how Cephalos has been uh, living, but, but Cephalos is quick to say, you know, I'm kind of happy that that part of my life is over because I'm not controlled by those emotions. And like, wow, it, it, like, is there, is there any more clear example of how different things are now that we want to continue capturing those early life passions? <laughs> yeah. But, but he was looking at it as something that was liberating. Like, sure. what a cool idea. I don't know. It's just, it's yeah. just different. For yeah. the listeners, um, what Austin is talking about is that there's a, here's the quote. Um, he says, uh, um, for if old age were to blame, my experience would be the same as theirs. And so would that of all other old men. Uh, but in fact, I have met many whose feelings are quite different. For example, I was once present uh, when someone was asking the poet Sophocles about sex and whether he was still able to make love to a woman, to which he replied, don't talk about that. I am glad to have left it behind me and escaped from a fierce and frenzied master. A good reply, I thought then, and still do. 
for an old age, you become quite free of feelings of this sort and they leave you in peace. And when you <laughs> desires to lose, when your desires lose their intensity and relax, you get what Sophocles was talking about, a release from a lot of mad masters. In all this and in the lack of respect their family show them, there is only one thing to blame, and that is not their old age, Socrates, but their character. For if men are sensible and good-tempered, old age is easy enough to bear. If not, youth as well as an age is a burden. And like, <laughs> yeah. and and you know, it's funny because as we're going to go forward, I mean that that quote really is going to sum up a lot of what Socrates is talking about, mm-hmm. and how it really is like at the at the core of things is 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 your character. That to not be buffeted by the winds of 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 change and passion in your life, um, sorry, not Socrates, Plato. Um, you know, Socrates being the character, Plato being the man behind you know the myth. There, um, that it's it's not to be to not be ruled by these passions, ruled by change, yeah. ruled by external circumstances, but instead to be a, somebody of of great character. Um, and so, it, you know, I would say both that age is necessary, but also I think obviously Plato is trying to make a point through the character as well. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it, it has a dual meaning, certainly. Yeah, it's cool because at first it just seems like this this cold open that really doesn't have relevance to the conversation about justice. Right. But again, it, it sets up the theme well. Um, I, whether that was Plato being an intentional, you know, writer or... It, it was just spilling out of him, you know, and, and, and would exemplify the later ideas that come in this book. But anyway, we can, we can move on. Um, okay. Yeah. What's the next section here? So Polemarchus, his son takes over the conversation and makes that claim. Uh, remind me his specific claim again. It right. Was, he says, he says doing what is right is giving a man his due. So this is the just desserts argument, right? So like uh, a man who, you know, uh, eye for an eye kind of thing, right? So you give a man his due. So instead of just paying somebody's debts, it's more of if, if somebody has wronged you, if somebody is, is bad, right. then you give him his due. If somebody is good, you give him his due. Um, yeah. And, and Socrates is one of his early, is this later or earlier that one of his counters is essentially, can we establish that justice can, or, or he says, sorry, sorry. Um, Polemarchus says it is giving an, uh, a bad person harm and a good person good. And then Socrates is quick to start to unravel that and say, whoa, whoa, whoa justice cannot do harm. And what was his how did he argue that exactly? Because that was fascinating to me because we think of justice and yes, it's punishing the evil and it's it's benefiting the good. That was my initial, th- at least in terms of the legal definition of justice. But Socrates somehow made this cool argument that revealed that justice could not do harm. Do you recall that? It was, or is that at this stage? Yeah, I think I, I do think you're talking a little bit about the the following argument that Thrasymachus ends up making after this one. Oh, okay, I'm getting um, ahead. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I uh, there are a few there are a few important points that I want to go over in terms of what Polemarchus is going to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the main things that I wanted to highlight is first and foremost is is the idea of the Socratic dialogue. So like. Just that general framework. Sure, sure. So what you find when he engages with Polemarchus is that he's asking him like questions. He's probing him. And then Polemarchus is responding. And he's like, well, what about this? And what about that? And then Polemarchus is like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I can, you know, definitely Socrates. I agree. And so a lot of people like, like want to, um, that's a critique that they level against Plato because they say, because they say, well, he, you know, what Plato does is that he sets up Socrates and some buffoon. And then what Socrates <laughs> does is that he levels a question and then he, and then so then the buffoon agrees. And then, and, or I shouldn't say buffoon, I'll just say char- the other character. And so he'll ask him questions and the character just inevitably agrees. He's like, yep, that's right. Oh, I can see that, blah, blah, blah. Not really pushing back. And then, and then eventually Socrates, you know, says, well, since you agree to all the other things that I just said, then it follows that this is the case. And then he's like, yeah, okay. And then they move on. And then so, mm. and so what I respond to that, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend Plato's writings here. I don't think that's not my job. Yeah. Um, I think what I, I think what I will say is, is I think it's important to understand exactly what is going on when a dialogue like that occurs, the Socratic dialogue in general, because the Greeks had a notion of what is called dialectic. 
Um, and so typically we mean that in a much different term today, um, like in a very, in a, I mean, eventually we'll get to these philosophers much further down the road right. when we're talking about like Karl Marx and we're talking about, um, um, we're talking about Hegel, you know, they're talking about dialectic yep, yep. and conflicts and things like that. And so, but what, what the Greeks meant it as a dialectic was just, was just a conversation. Dialectic was about, um, was about um, engaging in discussion so that you could drill down to the truth, like mm. first principles, like universals. And so that's what the that's what the, the dialogue is about, this dialectic of like using your reason, using good questioning, using formal logic to engage with somebody else and then to, to basically slowly expose inconsistencies and and false arguments to eventually discover truth. Right. So as much as somebody can level criticism against Plato for, you know, following this kind of style, like it's not, it's not scientific enough. It's not, you know, it, it kind of fails in a sort of legitimacy in our modern conception. I think it's a really beautiful thing because what we're dealing with is somebody who like, we're dealing with the very concept of Plato believing that through, through reason and through right discussion, you can eventually discover the truth of a matter, the yeah. reality of a thing. And that's really important. And that's that's the entirety of what this book is going to be, is, is a Socratic dialogue, this dialectic of people engaging to reach yeah. truth. Yeah, and he definitely sets up um, characters and stereotypes who do provide the pushback um, and the counterpoints that are needed to oh, yeah. discern deeper truth. So it's not a yes game. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, to his credit. Obviously, he's the only one writing this from what we know. But I think also from what we know of him, we, we can safely assume that Plato spent his life having conversations like this. And so he's not just pulling this out of his butt, but, <laughs> but this is probably coming from an array of conversations that he and uh, styles that he would have had is is that fair to say maybe not this particular topic but around justice i'm sure this isn't just he's not just sitting in a room never having spoken to someone about justice and writing a dialogue all from his conscious right you know um anyway was there anything else from the pull and marcus section you wanted oh yeah to... so the second thing is that and <laughs> um is that he actually ends up taking a very interesting argument with Polemarchus. And, uh, and again, we're not going to be going over the specifics of exactly what is being exchanged, but I think there's an important concept that we need to touch upon, or I will try my best to be very light on the subject um, going forward because this is going to be a really important topic. And so it's interesting because um, he he talks about he talks about justice being, instead of taking the angle of like, of, of disproving disproving it like when he says oh what is right is just giving every man his due and then he and then he like you would think he would go from like an ethical standpoint and like start yeah. talking about well what is the morality of that but he doesn't take that angle he starts talking about agriculture and he talks about ship making and navigation yeah, and he does and, a couple of parallels right but they medicine. don't seem like right it's weird to to level like music against justice like those that seems like art versus at least to my 21st century mind so, <laughs> you know like help me understand why that was his go-to or was it just as foreign to these guys he's talking to as it is to me socrates is 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 reframing the entire conception of justice in this section like i know that's like crazy and then he only does it in a few pages Right before <laughs> before we really actually enter into the dialogue, he's going to he's essentially reframing exactly how we conceive of justice because we think of justice as this far off, like very elusive thing to yeah. us that it's like well I guess it's the courts it has something to do with like law scale. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Scale. Uh, some oh, woman <laughs> liberty I don't know and so um. He reframes justice as as being a skill. The same, uh, like in the same way that uh, a carpenter has mm. a skill in woodworking, or a doctor a skill in medicine. He he reframes the idea of a just man being, you know, having somewhat of a craft, a, like justice being a craft. And so that introduces us to the concepts of techne and episteme. <laughs> What did you say to me? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so what that means is, uh, so for the Greeks, and again, I don't want to get into 
Greek etymology because we're going to have plenty of time for that. But the uh, techne means like skill or craft, um, generally speaking, um, it, like a trade, but not in the way that we like, it's not a job. Like he means the actual, like, like an actual craft, like the art of like the carpentry. Art of, yeah, or, the the yeah. art of like cool. of of a thing, like medicine, navigation. He yeah. uses those those. He uses medicine primarily as the mm-hmm. example in his books. Um, and then you have episteme, which is is if you can, I'm going to oversimplify, it, but it basically means theoretical knowledge. Yeah. So techni okay. means techni is basically you can compare that to practical knowledge mm-hmm. of a craft. And then episteme is the theoretical knowledge of that craft. So playing piano versus studying higher level music theory and and understanding harmonics. Sure. Right. Your fingers are doing one and your mind is doing the other. Yes, yes. Or or another example. Yeah, and or another example to to kind of help out would be um let's think of architecture and construction. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense to me because uh, I mean, again, we get, again, we're going to go far deeper into this hopefully, but yeah. like episteme takes on a, a very mathematical kind of kind of conception for, for Plato. Okay. He basically, he episteme would mean like the realm of knowledge, the realm of knowledge, theoretical knowledge that then informs our techni. So how to, exp- so let me surmise is that techni, your craft has a purpose. It has a function and it has a goodness to it. Mm-hmm. So what you'll be dealing with is like let's once let's go again with the carpentry example. So the the purpose of carpentry is to is to use wood to build things. But then if somebody built built a let's just say a, a, a like a shack mm-hmm. uh, of wood, you know, a carpenter was like, oh, you know, I hire you to build the shack. So then you build the shack, and then you would say the shack that is that is blown down, you know, when a wind comes by. That is not good, <laughs> but then the shack that that holds up for generations and and has you know solid foundations and 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 just great woodwork like that is that is good. And so we would say there is bad technique and good technique. Right. And so, however, how do we know? Now this is getting getting into the theory of knowledge, which we, we would call epist- epistemology, the study of how we know things. Right. But good technique is fulfilling the function of that craft to its perfection and making a breastplate of armor that stops an arrow, Mm -hmm. making a shack that holds up, um, medicine that cures a sick person. Right, fulfilling its purpose. Exactly. It has a function. and and so and so it what informs that function, the not like what is so the knowledge of that function comes from episteme. And so, and so you're kind of getting at what is good, right? And that's going to be the question of the book. So when we're talking about justice, and this is what's important when the, the exchange with Polymarchus is that justice is, is a, is a technique. Mm-hmm. It's a craft. And so what is the purpose of justice? What is, what is the completion and the goodness? Okay. Yeah. The goodness of the craft. So how do we, and then, and how do we accomplish that? So then, then you get into the episteme, where it's like, well, what is my theoretical knowledge of justice that informs me about about how to accomplish this right. on a theoretical level, so that I can apply it practically in the technique of justice? So he's reframing it. So he's saying. So he ends up saying, "Let me see if I can find a quote here." Um, he goes. He goes. Um, Like he talks about, uh, you know, harming. He, he, the discussion goes into uh, one ought to harm bad men who are our enemies. Right. And so, right. That's and so he's like, so do we harm a horse? When we harm a horse, do we make it better or worse? Worse. Worse. That is by a standard of excellence by which we judge horses, not dogs. Yeah. Yes. And a dog, if harmed, becomes a worse dog by the standard of excellence by which we judge dogs, not horses. Surely. Um, and then, so must we not say then uh, of a man that if harmed, he becomes worse by the standards of human excellence, certainly, but is not justice human excellence. It surely must be. <laughs> so men, if harmed, must become more unjust. So it would right. seem. So, so if we accept that justice is a virtue, a mm-hmm. good thing, an excellent thing, we cannot also say that justice can harm someone or should or, or can be used to harm someone then it's not justice anymore right but this is what requires that episteme a theoretical yeah, knowledge of yeah. justice right because the because the craft like a good craft 
you know, like a, like a horse trainer, again, to go to that example, if you're a horse trainer and you're you're harming the horse and it's like, well, you suck at your craft because yeah. here's a horse, it's a nag that's not going to move and it's, it's beaten, it's downtrodden. So just to make sure I'm getting this right, like this, the separation, but also the connectedness of... Mm-hmm. It's of, it's a very, very deep discussion for right. sure. Um, in, so I got my uh, undergraduate in film studies and and... So there were half of my classes were about production and actually having my hand on the camera and learning that art form, but then the other half were theoretical. And what was diff- weird was that the faculty members never crossed over, right? And so in Plato's perfect world, they would. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like the theorists would also be practicing well. Yes. And the practitioners would be theorists. Yes. And you're going to see you're definitely right. see that in the book. But in, in at least my portion of academia, in film studies and probably most art studies, I would think there's division where Socrates wouldn't have, or Plato wouldn't have put it there. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. I, I think I'm understanding at least a, yes. a fringe level. And, so, and, that's an important, and that's an important definition is that justice has to deal with human excellence. So justice is kind of a weird one because it's something that is a skill, but it is like the skill of skills. Mm. It is it is the right order. It is the right ordering of you as a person. It is it is your excellence. Like so, the idea of like you know, a good carpenter also needs to know justice. Hmm. Because to be an excellent human being, as well as a carpenter, requires justice. Right. Anyway. Makes sense. We can <laughs> so now we can we can continue to move. Yeah, yeah. Um so justice has actually not been defined at this point and has only been demonstrated as a technique, a skill and and it's excellent. Yeah, and has a, <laughs> and has a function and 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 to achieve that goal of, you know, happiness or excellence. Um and right. so um and so we define justice by what it consists of its action. So like a technique, right? So like that purpose, you know, mm-hmm. you know, what, so how do, purpose? yeah. So how do we know justice? Well, we know it by what it produces, you mm-hmm. know, by its actions. And it produces an excellent man is mm-hmm. what Socrates would say. Okay. That's, exactly. that's a cool way to look at it. Exactly. Uh, so, and so, and, and so that, that word, that function is, is actually the term ergon. So like, it, and it has to do with, like we think of function as like like a watch telling time, but for the Greeks, once like see again, it's like you almost have to know Greek to really get into <laughs> yeah. it because it, because like for them, function is is all about is about like is is purpose. Like they use the word purpose, you know. Hmm. Um, so then and then that's when you have Thrasymachus. After and that, he's he... the a hole. Right? <laughs> he's the one who just comes in and starts saying nonsense, and then it takes like twenty pages to throw him out. Oh my gosh. Do you want to try to explain what his his disruption is about? Yeah, so Thrasymachus kind of just jumps into the scene and he he starts throwing accusations at Socrates and yeah. he kind of be- <laughs> and he so start and he, and he taunts him. He's like taunting him. And and um and then he claims that justice or what is right is uh, famously he claims that it is the interest of the stronger party in favor of the weak. Um, and so that's kind of a very famous, uh, Machiavellian real politique. So it's just a tool used by powerful people to get what they want at the expense of the weak. Am I okay? Right. It's whatever it was, whatever. And he develops it further by saying, you know, whatever is in the interest of the stronger party. Hmm. So, uh, once again, for the sake of just quoting, yeah, let's um, go for it. Um, um, so he's, you know, he just laughs at him. He's mocking him. He's going back and forth. And they're actually really like sarcastic to each other and really sassy, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and so he's like, oh, book. give me your, d-. He, he, he goes, um, um, he's like, oh, come on, you know, tell us, tell us what your definition is. And he's being all coy. And then eventually, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do okay. it. And then he says, listen, then he replied, I say that justice or right is simply what is in the interest of the stronger party. Now, where is your praise? I can see you're going to refuse it. <laughs> it's just so unnecessary because everyone else in the book is just so, like, civil. And then he just right. comes out of nowhere. Right. right? And, and now he, he is... Uh, he's a sophist, he's right? He's the sophist, and so it. is Plato. Just being yeah. harsh. <laughs> Plato is just Plato is literally just wanting to have some some 
sophist guy because he just didn't he hated them so he wanted to have a sophist just come in and act like Mm -hmm. a moron like an idiot and and he wanted to mock him now what i remember from sophists from college is that they did not believe in objective knowable truth is that a fair summary or yeah it's hard to kind of pin them down because it's not like they were they were not a cohesive Okay. School of thought. Mm-hmm. I think what would best characterize sophists, um, especially for the listener here, is that they would be more defined as being heavily skeptic. They would be, okay. in, in, all, in all honesty, they would sophists would be very relatable to us today. Um, <laughs> and right. yeah, yeah, it, it, because they they're just they're they're incredibly skeptical. Um, and yeah, they do engage in a lot of what we would call moral relativity. Um, and it's, and, but really their main concern was always just, was just good rhetoric of mm-hmm. just making, of just making, um, um, young men, just good politicians. Right. Without the wisdom. Yeah. Elo- it was right. Exactly. Because what Socrates was mainly concerned with was ethics. Like mm-hmm. his, his was a philosophy of ethics, how to behave correctly. What is good? Like what is morality pretty much? Whereas the sophists were very much about making money and 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 saying yeah gaining power and just Hmm. being and then they were just skeptical of of any of any system of morals uh of you know how could you know how could you know that and so that's why they're always the antagonist in pretty much all the platonic dialogues (laughs) um they're always the ones who are challenging socrates yeah so that's that's what he is um and so and and this you know did you have any no, questions? So, so, so he makes the point that um, justice is just something that you know the 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 more powerful people group uses uh, uh, for their gain at the expense of the lesser or less powerful. That is is that a is that a decent summary of his initial argument that kind of sets the room on fire? And then, so what was the way that Socrates? argued out of that claim right so if thrasymachus's claim was that what is right is in the interest of the stronger party as you know against the weaker party it was like taking advantage of them mm-hmm. um once again going back to that idea of justice being a skill a craft he makes the argument that that um justice is not against the weaker party but it is for the weaker party just like medicine is for the health of the patient right medicine is not for medicine's sake it's for the patient so what he says right he he goes i mean as the eyes need sight and the ears hearing so they also need an art to look to their interests and provide provide them uh with what they need in this respect but it is a it but is it a characteristic of skilled activity as such to be defective so that each activity needs another to look after its interests, and this one another, and so ad infinitum on to infinity. Mm-hmm. Or does each look after its own interest? Is it not rather true that each has no need either of its own or another supervision to check its faults? Um, and so he yeah. goes on, medicine therefore looks to the interest not of medicine, but of the body and training to the interest of the horse uh and not its owner nor does any form of skill seek its own interest it needs nothing but that of its subject matter um the no science studies uh or no the no science studies or enforces the interest of the controlling or or stronger party but rather that of the weaker party subjected to it so he so he argues that's good right so he argues that um um that it, that justice right is it, it is it because it is a skill uh, mm. of of achieving human excellence and happiness that that it is it, it can't be concerned with its own self with yeah. the interests of the stronger party it, ha- it like it, it inevitably has to as a skill like by the definition of technique by the definition of skill yeah like it has to be concerned with the weaker party it has to be what's weird to me is that Thrasymachus doesn't um call into question or 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 counter socrates Mm -hmm. and argue that justice is not a not a technique because to me that's that's the way to go if you're gonna (laughs) unravel right (laughs) but he he doesn't was that uh, he's a sophist though so he should be doubting everything or am i giving them too much credit i I would give i would give two points to that statement one it's plato's book (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So yes, it's it like Thrasymachus only says what Plato wants him to say, and it's like how to say he has a he has a further point to make. So this is just the introduction of the book, right? So then Plato has more to say, and it's more about the establishment of this of, sure. the, of the utopian republic, and and so it's you know you can get really get bogged down into it and this is why the book is all about is so it's not to say that he is not concerned with that because the whole book is about defining justice yeah. so it's like and yeah, so really this is true. not the this is not the place to do it basically is like cuz we're we're getting concerned with oh well is justice really a technique and so plato does end up asking that question that's what the whole book is is that it's let's look at let's look at establishing a society let's go from a big picture and then and have a deduction down to to seeing justice being played out in the individual level rather than going from individual to bigger that's and i think that that is what's influenced by like our modern day about science because we want to say like let's establish a a controlled environment in these really specific circumstances and see if we can test it and like go from an individual case and then we'll so we go from the and this is where we have that dynamic do we go from do we go from individual to universal or do we go from or do we go from universal to individual? Mm. And so for Plato, his his logic is is in, in the way he engages in dialectic has more to do with building blowing up the picture, right? Let's go from a city level, like a huge macro level, and then we'll work down rather than the other way around. So that's the first point that I would make. And the second point that I would make to that is is that um, there's also agreed upon first principles that you need to establish when we're talking philosophy. So, you know, he's not, you know, I think it's a, it's a more modern phenomenon that we engage in these exercises of, you know, let's doubt our existence. Let's, let's doubt the faculty of reason. And then, right. and then like, the whole okay, Descartes thing. Right. Yeah. So like, right. The, the, the phrase being, and I, again, I don't know who came up with this phrase, but you know, they say that, you know, people never doubted, our existence until Descartes came up with a proof for our existence. Hmm. So it's like, so doubt, it, I'm doubt like, you can more doubt kind of thing. Yeah. If you, if you want, you can engage in those semantics. You can engage in like, well, let's doubt reason itself. It's like, well, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> We're not going to, you know, and I mean, and I mean, some of our listeners who are big philosophy fans probably are going to, you know, are going to be really offended that I'm saying that, that like, you can't assume anything. You have to test it all. And I'm like, you know, relax, relax. Let's, you know, let's, let's look at Plato for what he is first mm-hmm. and foremost. Let's be intellectually honest. Um, yeah, and an argument just wouldn't get far at all if you didn't accept some sort of common ground for definitions. And so, absolutely. So, so it's fair. If he wants to effectively have this book about justice and building the utopia, he, they have to, okay, I, I get that. They have to agree on, on at least that. Right. And then also it, it, it leads into the question of what is this book really about? Right. Which is what we kind of talk about in the context, right? Right. Like right. maybe I'm like, cause if you want to take the view that it's a strictly political work, we're not going to get bogged down with talking about Thrasymachus, right? We're not going to talk about like, because <laughs> yeah, he's only in the first section. Right. He's said. literally, he, he disappears after this. <laughs> like we're only in this little part. And so it's like, if it's just politics and we're just talking about setting up an oligarchical city, like, why are we going to get caught up in this? Sure. That's and it, yeah. And if, and if it's a metaphor, then we still need to establish the city. We still need to talk about how all that's supposed to be run. You see what I'm saying? Totally. Oh, that's totally. clear. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So so then after Thrasymachus makes that first initial argument, Socrates counters it. Um, he goes back and and pretty much says the same exact thing, right? And then, but but he he adds a little bit, stating that like ordinary people also operate in their own self-interest. Yes. Since it pays better, that's his next step. In yeah. The so what Thrasymachus does. Um, he literally restates the argument that what is just, or he, he says justice is not what is just. He says justice is the interests of the stronger over the weaker. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, and so he restates it. And then the second thing he says, and then that can be broken down in a few parts. So the, the next part would be um, that everybody pursues their own self-interest. So he's like, you can can take the unjust man and the just man, and then they would both be pursuing their own self-interest in their daily lives. And then the second 
part of that would be that injustice pays more than justice. So that's the second part. So you have A and then B. So B is is that, you know, like those who lie, cheat, and steal. You know, like uh, nice guys finish last, that phrase, right? So like those who, uh, you know, if you're a Bernie Madoff character, you know, you're going to just make more. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're cutthroat and... Saying you get away with it. Yeah, getting away with right. it. And, and, and he would even argue... Well, then I would be getting ahead of myself with Glaucon's argument. So, I'll, sure, I'll, sure. We'll so, <laughs> so, um, and then, and then the last part is that that injustice is stronger. That the ability to be immoral, yeah. in a sense, of like having that kind of, uh, um, that attitude of you know, I'm just going to take what I want, and I'm going to be greedy, and I'm going to take what I can get is stronger than the just man because the just man is constrained by his morality. So that's so that's the expansion of his argument. And Socrates goes through each of those points. So so just to summarize for myself, so he he is he first says he reiterates that leaders uh, take advantage the rulers, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The rulers will take advantage of the weaker people for their own sake. That is what is just is that right. whoever's stronger is gonna And mm-hmm. then he expands and says, in fact, ordinary people will do this because it pays better. It's more rewarding. And lastly he says it is actually stronger. stronger. Yeah, some bold claims. <laughs> some bold claims and, and, and once again, arguments that we hear today. Like these like yeah. nothing nothing new. <laughs> nothing new. They like People say it all the time, right? It's mm-hmm. it's in our everyday that it you know some you know, it, it it doesn't it doesn't pay to be good. Man, you know? I want to get to the reign of Gyges, but hold me back. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. what does Socrates say to this before we get into the right? Good question. So what what ends up happening is that the first thing that Socrates um, um, touches upon is once again like arguing against that idea that that it's the interest of the stronger over the weaker. So what happens is, is that Thrasymachus uses the analogy of, of the shepherd and the flock. So what Thrasymachus is going to say is that, hey, listen, you got a shepherd and he's, he's leading a flock of sheep. Does he really care about the sheep? No. He's, in, he's only interested in caring about the sheep insofar as he brings them to market to be sheared and maybe even slaughtered for mutton. Sounds like a pretty good argument yeah. on the surface. Right, right. So like he he would, you know, that, you know, oh, he he's calling Socrates silly, saying that the shepherd is not in love with the sheep. He's not caring specifically about the sheep whatsoever. It's, it's all about that specific goal of the profit making off of the sheep. And then caring for the sheep is, is, in, is just a secondary effect. Um, and, in, you know, um, we can even find a, a slight comparison to like invisible hand like Adam Smith, right? Like to kind of illustrate that point where Adam Smith would argue that, you know, in capitalism that you have it where even if you're greedy, you are benefiting other people. It's just a natural consequence. (laughs) Yeah. Funny, right? So then, so then Socrates then basically says that same thing, but then flips it where he says, no, 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 it is the profit making that is what is the consequence of caring to the sheep. Interesting. Because yeah. he, once again, justice being a skill, being a technique, what is the what is the ergos? Like, so ergos being the purpose. purpose, the purpose of of the skill. What is it aiming to do? You know, because the craftsman, the armor maker, you know, he's not he's not saying like when he's making a breastplate, he's not going to be thinking to himself like, oh, I'm going to like you could. You can say I'm going to crank these out like as fast as I can. And if they're not stopping arrows, they're not going to. Right. They're not going to. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to. They're not going to buy armor from you anymore in a wartime setting, you know, um, because it's not stopping arrows. But and so true motivation is to protect. Right. The man if, wearing if you are if you are looking to perfect your craft, you are making the best plate of armor that will stop the bolt. Right, and then what will happen is is that you will subsequently make a profit off of that. So like we don't like (laughs) right, right, exactly. So it's so I mean you don't see you know it's interesting, right? Because the the craftsmen that we see, like the the best electricians or plumbers or whoever that we hire in our everyday, they're always the people that truly love their craft and seek to hone it and just be honest about it. That's a key one. Yeah, yeah. You if a mechanic actually gives you a good deal, you're gonna go 
back, right. you know, as opposed to the chains. Or you're willing or... to even pay more. Like, you can hear it all the time where it's like, oh, yeah, That's he's true. a bit more expensive, but I know he's going to get it done correctly. And I won't have to come and back I won't next have to week come because back. he didn't. And then people yeah. understand that. People mm. inevitably understand that. They know that, you know, you do a good job. It will, you will be rewarded for it. You'll be, so, and so what, going back to the flock analogy, Socrates would say that, no, 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 you truly care for the flock. You do. Because you understand that's, the shepherd understands that's his life source, that he has to love that flock, that he has to, that he has to really care for it and protect it from the wolves in order for him to survive. So if he's only concerned about the profit making, he's not really caring for the flock in a good technique. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's a, yeah, so that's, that's a really, that's the, yeah, really so good. it flips it on its head. And it's a strong argument. And, and uh, what it makes me think of the, the stories of, of the, the cowboys on the trail when they were, when they were um, you know, leading cattle going north to, you know, to the slaughterhouses in, in Chicago or something like that. They would, you know, stories of them, they would sit among the, uh, among the cows and they would just play music for them so that they would help them sleep. And they would sing songs on the trail to them and just take care of them in that way. And I think that's really beautiful, right? Just being one with that and just really right. caring for your, your craft. Um, so, yeah. And you can see that applied hmm. pretty much anywhere. Um, and I think that, that really resonates. Right. Know? So Socrates w wiggles his way out of that one. And that's where Thrasymachus says <laughs> he pays better. <laughs> it pays better. Right. Um, and well, in the book, just for our listeners, what happens is, is that Thrasymachus makes those points, bam, 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 you know, those three points. And then Socrates then breaks down those three points Sorry, on his right. own. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like they're not going tit for tat, right? It's more of Thrasymachus okay. makes this huge assertion and then Socrates then mm -hmm. like slowly unravels it for him. Um, so then that point being, he says that, you know, um, he actually says, um, he says, and far more important is his recent statement that the unjust man has a superior life to the just. That's, that is Thrasymachus' assertion for the second part of this, the second part of the second part of his argument, where he's saying that the unjust man has a superior life. Um, and so this is actually, and this is interesting because this, this argument that Socrates then makes against that assertion that Thrasymachus makes is known by scholars as bad. It is the bad <laughs> or the weak argument. It's just flat out bad. Just flat out bad. Okay. In fact, in my edition of this book, it is known as embarrassingly bad. Stop. Is the notation. Which edition is it? Is that the Penguin Classic? This is, uh, who does this? I think this is uh, Desmond Lee does the translation. So Desi Lee doesn't like that argument. Tell me why. Well, what's the, let me, let me find the footnote really quick. Sure. So he, he is actually using the, a quote from a book from Cross and Woosley, um, where they, they, they noted as being embarrassingly bad. And so what so how Socrates argues against the the unjust man having a superior life. So as to say, let's let's unpack that. What does he mean by superior life? Meaning that he that he is able to pursue his self-interest uh, uh, without impunity. That he is he's not he's not hampered. He can pursue his his own riches and his own yeah. desires, you know, without hindrance. Because he's cheating his way out of obstacles that Lying, honest cheating. men would have right. to. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And that we all pursue our self-interest and it's all about, you know, right. it's all about just gaining your own pleasure. And this is a, and this is just a big sophistic argument that is just generally being made amongst the sophists where it's about, like, as we said before, it's, it's about um, gaining power, mm -hmm. right? And so... And so the interesting thing is, is that Socrates continues along the line of justice being a technique, but then what his argument specifically is that, um, is that, uh, that, how to unpack this, those uh, two different crafts don't have competition with each other. So he would say that. Now I remember this. Yeah. yeah. So then he would say that, like, uh, you know, the musician um, understands what is the ergos, the purpose of perfecting the craft of music, which is uh, things in right proportion, uh, being beautiful in their harmony. Okay. Um, you know, time, like the right timing. And, and so basically, or, you know, or to use a, a more simple, let's go back to the armor maker. Like the armor maker understands mm -hmm. that the purpose of it is to make good armor. You know, that's, that stops the blow of a sword or the, the striking of a bolt from an arrow. And so they're not competing. His claim is that these two craftsmen, these two armor makers are technically not competing with each other, 
because they both share the same purpose. This like each of their crafts, each of their technique share the same ergos. And so there's no competition between the understanding of exactly what the purpose of that skill is. So then, yeah, I know you're looking confused. Just let well, me... yeah, go, go on. Okay. I mean, it's not confused. It's I... okay. So then, so then the idea is that a just man will not compete with another just man because, oh, okay. because they both understand what the purpose of justice is and what it's and and what it's supposed to achieve. Um, so his assertion is here. So the good man who has knowledge will not try to compete with his like, but only with his opposite while the bad and ignorant man will try to compete both with his like and with his opposite. So the idea that being that like, if you're unjust, if you are, if you are immoral, you are going to be competing against everybody around you because you are just simply looking to gain for your own self. Like it, it, it twists the purpose and and the just man understands his purpose like what is like because again once again to go back to the idea is that justice is about achieving eudaimonia like complete happiness and bliss but specifically within right virtue and well in the well-ordered soul that's what eudaimonia is it's not just pleasure it is higher than that it is being it is in being in right order it is in in it is in living in a virtuous life Mm -hmm. a just life and then you experience a sort of bliss that's eudaimonia so and so injustice is a corruption of eudaimonia and it's seeking earthly pleasure whereas the just man is not going to compete because they understand exactly how to achieve that properly and so there's so it's you know if that makes sense it it sounds like hypothetically yes in practice no is that fair? Because obviously the breastplate maker, um, is that what we call him? The armor. Smith, yeah. The armor Smith. He doesn't, uh, he needs to make a living. And if somebody can do his task better and faster, he does, even if they're both honest, he does have to compete. Right. We're kind of thinking of it as like, as like, a, about, you know, looking at it in a, in a marketplace setting, right. In an economic perspective, we have the tendency to pull that way of like, Oh, well the two, the two armor makers are obviously going to compete because they're looking for business. Right. But I think what Socrates is trying to do here and anybody out there can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Socrates is looking more at it. Like the just man is not buffeted by the winds of life. You know, that reminds me of, um, my hometown, there were four or five mechanics, um, different auto mechanics shops. And I was talking to one of them once and he said, you know, there, there are plenty of cars to go around. Ah, yeah. Now, now it, it was he embodying more of what Socrates means when, when he's, he's explaining that a truly just craftsman is not, uh, caught up in competition trying to compete because he was satisfied with his lot yeah socrates would also say uh, here i'm gonna read another quote um throwing a lot of quotes out there um (laughs) he says the just man then i said resembles the good man who has knowledge the unjust man who is ignorant and bad um but we agree that each of them is of the same kind as the one he is like then i concluded we have shown that the just man is wise and good and the unjust bad and ignorant so it has more to do with like of like mm, I'm trying to I'm trying to expand the argument here for everybody is that the the unjust man is 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 not only bad like morally corrupt but he's also ignorant because he is he's he's this goes back to Socrates being all about and when Plato being all about not pursuing earthly pleasures in an earthly in an earthly life because eventually we will pass on. We will grow old going way back to, to the original, right? right? <laughs> the original start of this episode. Uh, so it, all of it ties together. So the unjust man, the un, uh, so the unjust man is pursuing things that have like, don't give, uh, like don't actually please you. Whereas the just man has a sort of knowledge that he's not going to compete. He understands he, he knows how to achieve eudaimonia. He knows how to achieve true happiness and bliss, regardless of whatever's going on. He is steady and right ordered in his soul. Mm. And so he understands the purpose of his craft, whereas the unjust man does not. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually we're, I eventually got myself to <laughs> saying the right thing. No, it, it makes sense. It, it's so complicated. I think these, these first couple of episodes are going to be... Um, 
dense as we try to unpack what the original Greek meant and put it in our terms. We're we're trying to understand a completely different world. Yeah, English kind of sucks <laughs> as a language. <laughs> that too. But uh, and eventually things will become once we start to yeah. build the city itself, things become right. Uh, right that's easier. what I'm figuring. So why don't why don't we move on then for now? Yeah, well, so, yeah, the next argument's super easy. Yeah, that's the last one Thrasymachus makes. Um, right, right. He says um, um, that he claims that injustice is a source of strength. Um, this is a really brief section where, you know, he basically says uh, that injustice is not a source, a source of strength, obviously, because people who are unjust are going to compete and destroy each other. Like you, right. there's it's no way, yeah, you can't, you can't have unity amongst unjust men. So what, what he says, simple, um, where does he say it? He is, if it is a function of injustice to produce hatred, wherever it is, won't it cause men to hate each other and quarrel and be incapable of any joint undertaking, whether they are free men or slaves, it will. And so with any two individuals, injustice will make them quarrel and hate each other and they will be at enmity with themselves and with just men as well. They will. And in a single individual, it will not lose its power. Will it just, but retain it just the same. Injustice then seems to have the following results, whether it occurs in a state or family or army or in anything else, it renders it incapable of any common action because of factions and quarrels and sets it at variance with itself and with its opponents and with whatever is just. So, I mean, that's, it's just pure and simple. Like, you're backstabbing people. You're pursuing your own interests in, you know, over other people. There's no way that you guys are going to get along. Yeah, I know we both have just been reading Lord of the Rings recently. So it, it's the it's the Sauron and Sauron debacle where two evils exactly. will always end up um, fighting each other from within. And even like those little mini orc skirmishes that constantly happen as as uh, Pippin and Merry are taken and as Frodo and Sam are at the tower. Sure. They're constantly turning on each other. Right, right. But, but, uh, but the good guys are unified. The, the just are unified. That's that's interesting. Yeah. The unified in purpose, yeah, certainly, certainly, and 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 that's what's important is that, and as we go on, it's it, it's unified in purpose under you have to have the same principles, you have to have a shared understanding of justice, common values. of what is good, common yeah, values, yeah. in order to pursue that end, and and so yeah, now, it's a quick argument, and then and then yeah, go ahead, sorry, is this where they finally kick Thrasymachus out, pretty much, and Glaucon and Adamantus kind of say, um. Look, we're on your side, Socrates, but here are the things we're struggling to to answer. Here's what we're hearing on the street. That's how I interpreted it. That's that's 21st century Austin. <laughs> uh, but they didn't. See, point is, they weren't actively trying to fight for injustice like Thrasymachus was. But they they did have their questions and 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 kind of started poking around at the argument. Right, right, exactly. Because Socrates' main claim that that he says that the just man is happier than the unjust man. That's his. That's the prime. Right. That's the. And thesis. once again, I'm going to keep saying it. Eudaimonia. And yeah. Eudaimonia being not a not a state of happiness. It is not about saying I feel happy today. Eudaimonia is is a is a state of being. Is a permanent state of being, hmm. of active principle. Um, I, it says that um, a more permanent condition of life or disposition of character. Something between prosperity and integration of personality. Though of course feeling is involved too, so it's like the best state you can be in on exactly. Earth. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And so the and so Socrates is arguing that that to achieve that justice is about is about having those those solid principles, those active principles as an active being that allow you to achieve right order and therefore eudaimonia. Yeah. And so the just man is naturally happier than the unjust man, and that justice is therefore good. It's all about it's all about achieving happiness, and so really the main question here is, the main question here is not even really like what is obviously the main question is what is just, but behind that question is you're really asking well what is happiness and how to achieve it. That's really what we're pursuing. Right, here. will doing things in an unjust fashion truly lead you to right. happiness? And, and Socrates is obviously arguing right, and that. I think and I think that as we go on, you know, when we, you know, further down the road when we're talking about. Cicero to you know to Kant and then and you know to Nietzsche you know as we get to those guys that question is going to keep coming up how do you achieve eudaimonia Hmm. that's really the question here um so yeah that's just that's just a little side point but right so Adamantus and Glaucon restate the argument for injustice this is what's going to set up the the book pretty much the introduction the the final part to our introduction so to speak 
Okay, so so Glaucon uses this Reign of Gyges um, illustration to show um, to reveal something else. He says that if we all had an invisible ring, if somebody had an invisible ring that kept them from being caught, they would steal. They would they would take advantage of it totally. Um, and so what he's exposing is he believes, or, or people believe. I think he's more humble. Um, People believe that they that that they only do what's right uh, for fear of getting caught. Yeah. So I would put it as morality and justice are matters of convenience. Because and and um, and we're gonna get into the ring of gaijis because uh, I know you want to. Yeah. For sure. Um, and uh, and he uses that analogy to say, like you're saying, it's that like. When you're left to your own devices, and if you had the power to do so, the just like the just man, if he had the ring of Gaijis that makes him invisible, you you are going to pursue your own self interest. Right. So to highlight that, it's only that being just is a matter of convenience. That like mm-hmm. that um. But even before Socrates can can answer that, Adamantus adds something even like scarier to that, where he says, "Well, we also only do what's right for." reputation maybe is another piece of it that we just want to be known as a right doer but not that we actually care if we're a right doer exactly and then on top of that he also says or and or (laughs) we do right because of uh, future rewards in heaven yes which and he goes i'm like oh my gosh he's stacking the deck because then he says we can, but we can, if we do something wrong, we just offer sacrifices to the gods. Right. And we're totally If you're cool. wealthy, you just sacrifice right. and you're in the, so when we say the same thing, like, it right, it's like, par- it's right. like, oh you, no. <laughs> yeah. So like, like you see that a lot where it's like, like, um, you know, somebody who is like a, a vicious corporate ladder climber and then they get to the top and then they just start blowing money all over the place, you mm-hmm. know, just giving out to nonprofits and we would herald them as some sort of hero. Right. When they have, they're a blackguard at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that so they they take up the case and they say, wait, now hold on a second. <laughs> you may have dealt with Thrasymachus this way, and we agree with you, Socrates. But we wanna we wanna get to the truth of justice. We really yeah. wanna engage in this dialectic. So we're gonna we're gonna put it to you. So they say, right, like you said, it's a matter of it's a matter of convenience because mm-hmm. you're under social pressure, right? We're right, all the agreeing. rules, right? The rules, um, and then and then you have and then you have it's a matter of keeping up of appearances. Mm-hmm. And two is that you keep up those appearances, but you still pursue your self-interest. You know what I mean? So like, it's still like, it's only, it's only, it's only, uh, uh, just, uh, just a game that we're playing. Right. Yeah. And if, and, and the last part, if you, if you do believe in, in God or gods and, and, and eternal judgment, well, there are ways that you can kind of play that game too. Or you could just switch the argument I and mean, you don't even have to make it about like sacrificing to the gods or anything like that like or you yeah. can just make it you can just say well you just donate a lot of money to causes <laughs> mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're a, a good person mm. and you know they say you know oh yeah. well you know oh they may have done you know x y or z thing but i'm trying to think of a good modern example of it like okay let's take like an athlete right let's take um let's take a and I hate to say this, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, um, but Jameis Winston. Okay. Okay, so quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers currently. Great hockey player. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, famous quarterback, won, uh, won the national championship for FSU. Um, he was accused of sexual assault, right? Uh, and I mean, or I mean, any athlete, like, you know, <laughs> Ben, like, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger being accused of rape, or you had that one guy who punched his wife in the head in an elevator and then dragged her unconscious body out. You know, there's a lot, but then they say, Oh, well they give millions to charity. Oh, he throws a ball really far and I want my team to win. So we let it go. You see what I mean? Yeah. 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 And so they have a strong case. These guys, they, they really level the deck and that, and that's where Socrates says, okay, here's what we're going to do for this book. (laughs) And he's like, here's how we're going to actually answer this. We're going to create, we have to figure out where justice is came from where 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 can we how does he say it he says we're gonna build a city from the ground up a fictional city and and we're gonna build it in the way like a perfect utopian city Mm -hmm. the republic (laughs) and and 
when we do that, we will be able to, like, if we are slowly constructing the perfect city, we will see justice being operated on a, on a large scale. What justice really looks like on a large scale, and therefore we will be able to see what it would look like in the individual life, what that really looks like. So that's, that's the proposition, that we're going to go from a universal big picture going down to the particular that's so those questions that Glaucon and Adamantus proposed to him, like you said, yeah. you know, that they make these really strong arguments, this little section of like questioning him. And then he says, okay, fine. I'm going to take a step back. And now we're entering into the book. Now we're really entering into what the Republic is all about. Well, that's a great place for us to leave off for this week. A really good cliffhanger. Um, so why don't we call it here? And um, next week we'll pick up with the, actual start of the building of the the hypothetical city the republic uh so yeah guys thank you so much for joining us uh this week um as always if you have any feedback or questions or comments just um you know either email us at the academy podcast at outlook.com uh, or leave it in the comments section below we would be thrilled to hear your feedback and if you did enjoy write a, a good little review um give us some good ratings and um, totally subscribe to our, our social media channels and share this with your friends. If you know somebody who would really enjoy this, um, we would appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Thank you.